Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Thursday, December 28th. For the holiday week, we are replaying some of our top episodes from 2023. Today, we look back at the June 22nd episode when healthcare reporter John Ingold discussed tips and the help available in Colorado for those who are navigating struggling with overwhelming medical bills. Before we begin, a quick thank you to our members who make it possible for the Colorado Sun to bring you your news about our beautiful, complex state. If you aren't yet a member, consider joining now to support local journalism and gain access to member newsletters. Start your membership today at coloradosun.com join. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1961, the director of Cragmore Sanatorium announced its closure by the next summer, ending its era as Colorado's premier health retreat. In the late 1800s, Colorado attracted people with lung diseases, especially tuberculosis, due to its high altitude and sunny climate. Numerous sanatoriums, including Cragmore, provided long-term care for these medical refugees. Cragmore was established in 1905 with support from Colorado Springs founder William Palmer and stood out for its exclusivity and appeal to wealthy patients. Cragmore struggled through the Great Depression and World War II. A brief resurgence occurred in 1952 when the federal government funded Navajo patient care, but this ended in 1961. In 1965, Cragmore's buildings became part of the University of Colorado at Colorado Springs. Before we continue, did you know the Colorado Sun has a mobile app? Get all of your Colorado news, whether you're in the car heading to holiday festivities or sitting on your couch enjoying your coffee. The app brings you everything from the Sun right to your mobile device. Learn more at coloradosun.com app. Next, our feature story. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on our Thursday Colorado Sun podcast on Thursdays. John Ingold and I talk about the reporting that we've done for our temperature, climate, and health newsletter, and also talk about other stories that we work on throughout the week and throughout the month for coloradosun.com. We appreciate you guys who have signed up for the newsletter and um, added to the financial support that we need to continue that kind of reporting and also see our stories on coloradosun.com. Hey, John, how are you doing today? I'm good, Mike. How are you? Doing well. Uh, busy as you are. I wanted to see if we could help people out a little bit with their own busyness, uh, people's healthcare bills, and just health insurance questions in general take up a lot of time. And you've always done a great job reporting that and trying to figure out what we can do as reporters and as a resource for our readers to understand more about how they might at least get some questions answered on a bill or contest it if they feel like there's something wrong with it and feel a bit less powerless in a system that can be overwhelming. So tell us what you were writing this week about how you actually go about that when you feel like there's a long bill that you don't understand that's sitting in front of you and wondering if you can get some help with it. Yeah, absolutely. And we should clarify, everybody is confused when it comes to dealing with healthcare bills and how to, how to handle them. I, I report on this stuff for a living when it comes to our own personal health care bills and trying to fight them. I am just as lost as everybody else. The system is incredibly confusing. You're getting multiple bills and statements from multiple people. You're not quite sure you know, which ones you need to pay, which ones are um, covered by your insurance. So this is just this is an absolute minefield of a, a place to dive into. Um, so this week in, in the temperature, I wrote about a 
uh, a program uh, run by the Colorado Consumer Health Initiative, which is a nonprofit. Um, we often write about them because they do some advocacy work at the legislature around healthcare affordability. They also have this whole other side to them, which is their consumer assistance program, which helps people navigate their healthcare bills. If you get a bill that you think is too high, um, you can call them and they can help at least educate you on what you need to do to, to, to fight that. And um, they may be able to jump in and make some calls themselves or uh, you know, direct you to the right place to actually file complaints if it gets to that. So uh, yeah, tried to put together some tips this week for uh, people fighting their healthcare bills. And um, it really just kind of comes down to making sure you, you know everything that you need to know. So what are some common things that people can approach them with or that they need to start off on their own? What's a common thing I, I could tell you from my own experience, as you said, we all go through this and um, every time we think we're alone on this, you show up in a room and even the experts are the ones asking questions about their own bills. So, uh, But what are some of the things that we come across that are a sticking point and that drive people to the end of their rope trying to figure out what to do about it? Yeah. Well, so the first thing is that uh, the bills can, uh, sometimes they trickle in, but sometimes they just come really fast and furious and you get that very natural sense of, uh, I need to pay this right away because I, you know, I don't like having a bill sitting there. It has a, has a due date on it. I don't like missing due dates on my bills. And so people have this very understandable, very even like responsible sense that, you know, I need to pay this bill right away. But in healthcare, maybe not the way it should work. So uh, the first advice that I can give is uh, from them, from the experts that I talk to, would be to to wait. Make sure you have all the information that you need to have. If you think something's wrong on the bill, uh, tell your insurance company that you are disputing it. Tell your healthcare provider that you're disputing it. And um, make sure that you are communicating that to everybody who's calling you saying like, hey, you need to pay this bill. Just make sure like as many people as possible are hearing that you're disputing this, that you're um, trying to gather more information while you're looking into this. And hopefully that'll eventually get through for them to like kind of hit the pause button on your, your billing. The second thing is you need to know uh, all the information. So make sure you have not just the bill from your doctor, right? You often get a bill from your doctor. You might get a bill from your insurance carrier, depending on um, what insurer you have. Your insurer will send you an explanation of benefits, which uh, tells you what they're covering. Um, but you might also need additional information. You need to know how you need to know how this matches up with your healthcare coverage. So you need something that's, uh, called the summary of benefits, the summary of coverage, um, that, uh, that is often available on the, the insurer's website or, you, you know, through your insurance portal, um, you would also need like a much thicker book that's like called your evidence of coverage that uh, really like lays out in detail all the, the the fine print of your plan. And then you can, you know, go through those things kind of line by line, see what's covered and match that up with how your insurer is handling that. So is your insurer saying something's not covered, but the plan actually says it is covered? Is the insurer saying that, you know, something is out of network when it's actually in network? Uh, all these like really fine print kind of things. Uh, you need to to make sure you're checking on. The other thing is that we're seeing this a lot that insurers are 
uh, denying claims due to medical necessity or saying they're not going to cover certain things because of medical necessity. You might get into this with uh, medical transport kind of things like ambulance rides. Uh, it could also be emergency care. Like if you're going to the emergency room, your insurer might say, well, you know, that wasn't actually an emergency visit. You didn't need to go to the emergency room. We're not going to cover that. So uh, this is where you actually call your healthcare provider and try to get doctor's notes and try to get clinic notes, try to get the chart notes, try to get all the medical records that you can from them so that when you're looking through that, you can say, hey, mm -mm, they actually said this was medically necessary. So then you can submit that to the insurer to try to fight that. Um, there's other things you can do here. Uh, this would be my third tip would be to, to learn. Um, you can try to find out if your insurance company has a, or sorry, if your, your medical provider has a, uh, a financial assistance program. Um, a lot of hospitals have these. Uh, you're sort of limited based on income. And they're, if you're uninsured, they're required to tell you about them. They're required to tell you like, hey, we actually have an assistance program that would offer you this care to reduce cost. Um, if you are insured, they're not required to tell you about them, but you're still actually eligible for them. So uh, if you are in a, a lower income bracket, you might ask about that. You might ask about the income limits related to that. And then lastly, um, if you're just really at an impasse, you think your insurer should be covering something and they're not, you think your uh, uh, medical provider is billing you in a way that they shouldn't be, um, this is when you get involved in, in filing a complaint. And so our state division of insurance will handle complaints if, you're, if your health insurance plan is regulated by them, which you can find out uh, on your insurance card. It'll have a little thing that, that says, uh, you know, Colorado DOI or Colorado Division of Insurance on it. Um, you may end up filing a complaint to the federal government that we call it CMS, the center for Medicare and Medicaid studies. Um, they also take complaints and you may actually end up filing a complaint, uh, with the state division of professions and occupations, uh, where your complaint goes is pretty complicated. You, you don't exactly know, you know, which complaints go to which places. And so that's why something like the, the, the consumer assistance program that CCHI runs can be so helpful. Um, their program, there's others out there. Their program is it's free of charge, um, and uh, they they have a limited capacity. They uh, can handle about a hundred claims at a time. They uh, will take them on a first come first serve basis, but sometimes they can just have like a single phone call, talk talk things through with you, and say, okay, here's you know your action plan. Here's what you need to do, and uh, they can send you on your way, and you can handle it yourself. So uh, again, if you just Google Colorado Consumer Health Initiative, you'll get their website and you'll see the link at the top that will uh, direct you to that assistance program. And CCHI is also, they have the benefit of having worked on policy issues on the other part of what they do every day, in addition to working on individual claims. So the one thing they've been working on is surprise billing, in-network, out-of-network billing, um, uh, an insurance company saying, um, no, we're not covering that because that procedure or that person who provided that procedure is not in our network. And so we're not going to either cover it at the same rate or not going to cover it at all. And so they, it's important for people to try to get that figured out ahead of time if they know an expensive scheduled procedure is coming up. But also if someone after the fact denies that um, and you're pretty sure that it was a network or someone told you it was, make sure you have records of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Document, document, document all your, all your phone calls, all your emails, document who you talk to and what they told you about. Um, Mike, as you mentioned, there are 
uh, there are actually protections now, uh, the Federal No Surprises Act, there's protections in Colorado law, uh, but these things are kind of studded with loopholes. So again, um, this is where a, a, an assistance program that actually kind of knows those loopholes inside and out uh, can help you from either falling into them or how to get out of them if you find yourself in them. So Mike, let's switch now and talk about what you've been working on, which is uh, something we've been learning more about, the potential uh, toxins that people's uh, gas stoves in their homes are, are releasing into their houses. So um, there's a new study out on this. And what does it say? New study from Stanford, but they also looked at houses in Colorado. They hooked up their equipment to some actual apartment and home stoves in Colorado and ovens as part of their work. So it's not just a distant Stanford study. It actually reflects what's on the ground in Colorado and what differences we might have with other places. Uh, results can sound a little scary, but we'll walk you through it so that you're not terrified and immediately throwing your stove out. Uh, that's not necessary, but it is good to know. Always good to be armed with more information. Gas stoves have been in the news lately, partly because of electrification issues. So there are environmental advocates and public officials who want the whole world of fossil fuel burning to switch over to cleaner electric. And one way to do that is to change your home appliances, whether it's your gas stove or your gas-fired water heater or your gas furnace over to a cleaner electric system that runs on renewable energy. But at the same time, they've kind of piggybacked on that. Other activists have uh, piggybacked on that saying there's a lot of indoor air pollution that comes from fossil fuel-based appliances and that we've ignored those over the decades and it's time to start taking a better accounting of that. This study from Stanford really looks at one of those toxins that comes up in burning fossil fuels and try to measure exactly how much of it you might have in your house on a typical cooking day and how long it lingers. What they found was that, yes, indeed, if you are not venting your stove's air to the outside in a proper way, there can be a buildup of a substance called benzene that comes from producing and refining and burning fossil fuels. It's highly toxic, uh, can get into your bloodstream, the doctors who were on this call and the researchers included a medical doctor who has done studies about leukemia. And she talked about what the dangers are long-term of having too much benzene in your system. And what they found is that in some homes, the benzene load that you can get just from normal family kitchen operations is similar to secondhand tobacco smoke or even worse in some cases. And similar to incidents that have been written about in the news where say an elementary school in Northern Colorado or another area in California has been inundated by benzene and other toxins from oil and gas production. So in that comparison sense, it can be kind of scary. Um, the good news when we ask them to kind of follow up and say, okay, how do we not run through the house screaming and try to immediately buy new appliances? They said the good news is that outside sources of benzene, such as cars, which is anything else outside burning fossil fuels, have come down a lot in the recent decades because of things like better catalytic converters. Um, what's happening now with the revolution of changing many vehicles over to electric, having cleaner burning vehicles in general, so that the pressure from outside sources is less, even as the pressure from having interior gas sources might be continuing on at a pace that we didn't even know about. So that's good news. Other good news is that once the benzene source has been stopped, whether you're doing better venting, whether you switch to an electric induction stove, that departs your body and does not have long-term effects if you actually stop it. So there are ways 
for your family to adjust. And if you've already been thinking about replacing your appliance, uh, it's another reason that you might consider doing it. If you're not sure that your venting actually goes to the outdoors, there's a lot of microwave vents where you've got your microwave over your oven and your stove. And you turn on the vent on the microwaves and hit that button and you hear a very satisfying noise of a fan taking air out and taking that smoke away from whatever you're cooking, but it's just recirculating it. It takes it through a very minor ineffective filter under the microwave and puts it right back into your kitchen. So you need to check if you have the ability to do this, that you have outside source, uh, outside venting that takes it uh, all that air to the outside and doesn't bring it back into the house. So there's some things you can do. Uh, they are going to continue this study. They're doing it in as many states as possible. They wanted to include Colorado, partly because it was close to California and they've got a lot of equipment to haul around, but also partly because we do a lot of oil and gas production here and they wanted to see what kind of the background outdoor levels of benzene are in Colorado to make a benchmark for the rest of the indoor measurements that they're doing. They're going to be continuing that. They'll try to follow up with more information and we'll follow that. And if people want to hear more about the story that we put in the temperature, they can go to coloradosun.com uh, later this week. And that will always be there once we posted it and get more information there. And they'll, the link to the study, you can read it directly for yourself. So are you looking to change your stove? We are not. I like gas. We do have outside venting, uh, but I have had this conversation again with people in my family in the last 24 hours to reassure them that, yes, last time we switched out the bad microwave, we checked to make sure the venting went outside. Uh, but it does make me conscious. I use the vent much more often in the past two years since I've been reporting about electrification. I turned on the venting for everything, whether I'm boiling water for a cup of tea, whether I've got some two-hour cooking festival going on with three burners going or I've got the oven on and I walk away for an hour while something's baking, I make sure I've got that outside vent going on and it's just a smart thing to do. Mm -hmm. Are are there um, incentives available for people to electrify their home cooking appliances? I know this this feels a lot to me like um, some of the issues that we confront with other electrification, which is you feel like it's the right way to go, you know it's the right thing to do, but there's like this gulf between the reality of what you have and the financial reality of what it's going to take to get what you want. And and obviously swapping a gas stove for an induction stove is not like for like, you might have to do some electrical upgrades to your house. So there could be um, added expenses there, but what sort of incentives are available, if any? It's tough. And as you say, if you're looking at suddenly $800 more than you would have been spending to replace the appliance or $1,500 more because it's a fancy induction or you're worried that it doesn't have a rebate, that can be tough when insurance is going up. Health insurance has gone up 20, 30% for some people. Homeowners insurance is going up 20 to 40% for many people who are responding to some of the messages we've been putting out. And that's a big bill, but there are rebates available and we will link to them when we put the story on our website. We've done some reporting that talks extensively about the rebates available in cars, in home appliances, in e-bikes, in any number of things that the sort of the way the culture is going is pushing people toward cleaner electric. So there is some hope available. It can get the price down to a, at least a comparable level and in some cases cheaper than you would otherwise be paying. So people should definitely check into that before they make their last decision. Yeah, it's great to know. Thanks for providing that, Mike. And everyone, thanks for, for listening to the Daily Sun Up again. Um, Mike and I will be back next week and we'll have our colleagues back on here tomorrow morning. So be sure to uh, subscribe, become a member of the Colorado Sun if you're not already. Uh, check out our newsletter on Wednesdays, The Temperature. 
and we will uh, see you next week. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. A Colorado judge has ruled that Starbucks must offer a job back to a fired Colorado worker. A federal administrative law judge says the coffee retailer engaged in unfair labor practices and must offer Alendra Harris her job back with full payment of any lost earnings. Harris was fired November 18th from her role as a shift supervisor at the Superior location, the first in the state to unionize. The judge's decision heads to the full labor board. In an email to The Sun, Starbucks disagreed and said her firing was due to policy violations. Turns out, cutting carbon is hard even for an environmentally friendly city like Boulder, which became one of the first in the country to set goals for cutting carbon in 2006. Two years ago, Boulder doubled down and said it would try to cut its carbon footprint 70% by 2030, from a very ambitious new baseline of 2018 emission levels. However, an updated carbon dashboard for Boulder says community-wide emissions decreased 2% from 2021 and were 18% below the 2018 baseline. That represents millions of tons of carbon removal, but it's a long way to 70%. Laser Fusion is putting Colorado State University at the front of the clean energy pack. CSU has been tapped by federal officials as one of three national centers to move the emerging technology to the next stage. Laser-driven nuclear fusion, when successful, puts out more energy than is put in when fusing atomic nuclei. Unlike the nuclear fission that creates current atomic energy and weapons, fusion does not produce hazardous radioactive material. It also avoids creating new greenhouse gases. Colorado State is now co-leader of a $16 million project that will double the power of a campus beam. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And The Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member, starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. 